Hello and welcome to Unframed, conversations about the arts on CFCR 90.5 FM in Saskatoon and streaming live around the world at cfcr.ca. I'm your host, Michael Peterson. With me tonight is Natasha Tchaikowski, guest curator for Beyond the Barrier of Sound and Soon of Light, which is showing at AKA from September 16th to October 22nd, with an opening this Friday at 8 p.m. Thanks for joining me, Natasha. Thanks for having me. So this exhibition is talking about disappearance and sort of the traces that the disappeared leave behind, to my understanding. Mm -hmm. Could you just tell us a bit about how this came about? Yeah, it's kind of funny. I was just writing about this today uh, for the curatorial essay, but there's kind of, I mean, I think like most curatorial projects, there's kind of a several wellsprings for how the ideas came to be and kind of came to manifest as an exhibition. Last year, I for whatever reason, became quite transfixed with the idea of invisibility. So I was really kind of just thinking through and reading a lot about ideas of invisibility and how invisibility at once can be this kind of phenomenon that is really, it can be something that is kind of not chosen by people. So we think about minorities um, historically being invisible in in whatever context. Uh, You can kind of pick any number of contexts for that. But how on the flip side of that, that invisibility can also be uh, something that is incredibly powerful and empowering. So the ideas of kind of taking that invisibility and resituating it as a as a positive thing or a thing in which um, agency can be derived by different people. Um, so that was kind of one of the wellsprings. And the other was that I became, again, for whatever reason, I can't even remember, um, very obsessed with Bastian Nader. So I was just kind of reading anything that I can get my hands on about him. And I was reading kind of art, artist projects. There's one by... Uh, a really beautiful essay by Tassita Dean, who's um, a British artist, talking about Bastian Adder's disappearance. And there's like a number of catalogs and books and kind of um, compilations of archival material about the kind of logistics of his disappearance and things like that. And that's sort of what led me to thinking about ideas of disappearance in a more abstracted way. So what is it about disappearance that's different than anything else? Like what is it about it that makes it this kind of strange in-between or irresolute zone and kind of uh, makes it distinguishable from other forms of of kind of being, I guess you could say. To go off a couple of those topics that you're bringing yeah. up, you're talking about disappearance both as something that is projected onto people, mm-hmm. like when you're talking about Indigenous cultures from colonial times to this day often mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. get disappeared in different ways through society, mm-hmm. as compared to something you were saying that gives someone agency, so mm-hmm. the choice of disappearance. So yeah, I'm wondering if you can expand on those a bit. So first of all, when we're talking, how, how is that notion of uh, disappearances being imposed on someone sort of coming into this exhibition? How is it? What, sorry? Sorry, how is that being incorporated into this exhibition or in the works of the exhibition? Oh, yeah. Well, I guess there's a lot of different perspectives. It's kind of strange. I find this with kind of all projects, whether they're writing-based or curatorial or research-based, they kind of end up, for me anyways, um, being in a very different place from where they started or where I had imagined they would go in the kind of conception phase of it. So when I mentioned I was really... Um, kind of transfixed with invisibility and I like the politics of invisibility and also the politics of disappearance. Um, how this show manifested is very much situated for, you know, a number of kind of contextual and circumstantial reasons um, in relation to disappearance and the body. So like the idea of like a disappeared body or what does it mean? How do we represent um, a body that has disappeared or the absence of a body? And so all the artists in the show kind of variably grapple with that. And um, I think that's a really interesting thing that kind of, in a way, loops back to Bastian Adder. Like, I was thinking about, if I were to do this show about disappearance, like, how could I make 
something so radically immaterial as a disappearance of a person, Bastianata in this case, um, how, how can one make that as a curator um, materially or how can one make it manifest in a gallery space in the context of an exhibition? And for me, that was um, a kind of insurmountable curatorial obstacle. Like, I, you know, I just, I don't think there's a way to do it. And certainly um, you could attempt to, but I don't know if you should attempt to. And, you know, people have, I'm sure, especially with him because he was such a influential figure in contemporary art, you know, in 20th century contemporary art. Um, but what ended up happening is by, you know, these various circumstances um, and the group of artists that did end up being in the show, each of them kind of broaches that specter, like that specter of the missing body in their, in their different projects in kind of different ways. But... Um, yeah, each kind of focuses on that. And for those of our listeners who may not be as familiar, can you take us a bit through the disappearance of Bastian Otter and how that came about? Or Yeah, so uh, Bastian Otter was a kind of pretty elusive thing- figure, I think, in the art world even before he had disappeared. Um, and he had done this trilogy of works. You know, what would come to be his final performance was called In Search of the Miraculous. And basically it was um, a performance piece that he had devised where he was um, manning a one-person sailboat across the Atlantic from the United States to Europe. And it was meant to be this kind of like poetic return to Europe because he's European and he was living in L.A. for uh, a number of years and kind of, yeah, living and working there. And he didn't he didn't make the trip across. He disappeared, essentially. And um, his boat was found, I believe, on the coast of the British Isles, and his body was never found. Hmm. So, you know, this is someone who was more or less a kind of art star while he was alive and perhaps even more famous um, after he had passed away. But, you know, there's like this irresolution in his, his story and his, his legacy as an artist because, of course, nobody knows. There's theories, you know, that he had survived and is in hiding or is, you know, there's you know, like any, any disappearance or conspiracy theories that surround it but I mean it's kind of an epic journey to have staged as a performance art project and you know he's he's um his kind of demise made made the whole project more poignant in this um really tragic way actually so So then for the artists that are working in this exhibition Mm -hmm. are they working specifically in response to his notion of disappearance or to the idea of disappearance more individually Um, or generally it's interesting. Originally, uh, kind of quite far along the development of this project, I, I did have an artist um, involved who um, had made a piece directly in response to Bastian Adder. So, excuse me, very much quoting, um, quoting, you know, his legacy and his disappearance, but also his work and his life. Um, and for some kind of circumstantial reasons, she wasn't able to actually participate in the show in the end. And that was um, not so long ago, actually, that that panned out. Um, but the rest of the works don't directly quote Bastian Adder, But I think that um, his legacy can be read can be read in the works. And I, I'm also kind of reticent to to frame the entire exhibition. Um, you know, in terms of Bastian Adder. I think he's like a very easy example in the art world of, of disappearance and the kind of, you know, murky unknown around the phenomenon of, of disappearance. And of course, he's the most famous disappeared artist ever, I'm sure. Um, perhaps not the most famous disappeared person, but certainly up there. Um, but that being said, I'm, I'm, yeah, a little bit hesitant to kind of frame all the works in the context of him specifically. But how I was thinking through it was that, you know, it was born of this kind of seed of thinking through um, my affinity and um, attraction to his story and how um, 
that effective attachment kind of plays out in in the rest of the works that kind of are now actually in the exhibition mm. if that makes sense sure and maybe you could take us through some of those works then and and the artists as well and mm-hmm. tell, tell listeners what they might be expecting to see when they go yeah, absolutely. So it's a, a group show of five artists, actually, and um, most of them are international, uh, save one who's a Canadian Indigenous artist. Um, there's a work called the An Image of Absalom to be, de- to be Projected sorry, um, Until It Disappears, and that's by a New York-based artist named Matthew Buckingham. His practice is, you know, very, very research-based, very post-medium, and he, this work in particular is um, a photograph of a sculpture of this uh, Danish, Danish kind of warrior bishop, mythical founder named Absalon from, I think the 12th century. Don't know, so, so <laughs> not so sure about that one. But um, yeah, so it's an image of this uh, statue in Copenhagen, um, and throughout the exhibition, it's projected continuously on a slide projector. It's a 35 millimeter slide, um, and the heat from the projector's bulb actually burns the emulsion on the surface of the slides. So throughout the exhibition, the image of this statue actually kind of fades and eventually literally disappears. So it's kind of this kind of like very, um, it's a very literal disappearance, but I think it's also very poetic and has a lot of ramifications in terms of how we think about um, monumentality and the idea of, you know, building a sculpture in bronze to be this gesture of duration through through time and the kind of like... Uh, a duration of history, um, but then it kind of being transposed onto this very vulnerable surface of, of the, the slide film. And then that kind of being um, poetic in the sense that, you know, most histories will disappear eventually. Nothing is kind of permanent in the sense that we would like it to be in, in the kind of um, desire we want it to be in and kind of instilling a monument in bronze, for example. Um, there's uh, another work by a Portland-based artist named Mami Takahashi, um, and she she actually has um, a large photograph on the billboard in front of AK, as well as a video inside the gallery as part of the main exhibition space. And the billboard is an image from her, her, she did the series, I think it's called the Capsule Series, but she did the series of performances throughout um, Portland where she would kind of enclose herself in this um, mirrored metallic capsule. Um, and then she was photographed in these kind of different situations. So sometimes she was like on a lawn, on a bench, in these kind of public places. Uh, The one that's on the billboard is she's kind of like tucked into a bush. Oftentimes there's a a tiny part of her body that sticks out. So in this one, it's her hands kind of keeping herself balanced under this tiny mirrored capsule. Um, And when I spoke to her about the show, she, um, and, and the kind of premise of the show, she related it back to her practice in the series in particular um, in the context of her um, being from Japan, coming to uh, the States and kind of having a really difficult time reckoning with um, the cultural disparity between these two places and her personal feelings of invisibility that were really compelled by this, you know, loud, um, egocentric kind of excessive culture that she wasn't used to. So it kind of bred these conditions that made her as um, as an immigrant, but also as an artist, feel largely invisible. So this 
kind of loops back to what I was talking about, about the, these ideas of invisibility and the kind of switching between being vulnerable and invis invisible to being kind of empowered and invisible. So this series really marks um, a kind of transition from one to the other because here she was, you know, actively making the choice to become invisible. And then the video work that's in the gallery is actually um, shot from within the capsule. So it's kind of like a two-way mirror. She could see out, but people, people couldn't see in um, and couldn't see her. So it is this kind of um, really beautiful situation that she built for herself through camouflage um, that allowed her to um, kind of derive some sort of agency and power in choosing to become invisible in the situation that kind of necessitated an undesirable invisibility at a certain point. And then who else do we have in this exhibition? We have a Paris-based artist. She was formerly also in New York um, named Tatiana Gregorenko. Um, and Tatiana made this beautiful s photographic series kind of aptly titled The Disappeared. Um, and basically what she did is um, took uh, you know, dozens of her family photographs, the four by sixes, the kind of um, standard ubiquitous family photograph uh, from, you know, trips, family trips and things like this, days on the beach. Um, and she physically excised herself from the photographs, so she cut herself out of them and then replaced the absence that was left by her cutting herself out with um, background imagery or various kind of collaged elements onto them. So. Um, she's kind of very, very physically absent from these photographs, but she leaves enough trace of it for us as viewers to be able to see that she's kind of manipulated them in this way. It's an interesting series insofar as she, um, you know, is kind of working at the level of a very kind of personal familial currency, but is actually quoting, um, this, uh, Soviet phenomenon that would happen um, this kind of like Soviet practice of um, expertly removing people who had been made, who had disappeared by the state from official archival photographs. Um, so, you know, state officials, politicians and others um, would be, you know, disappeared in whatever way, either they were assassinated or perhaps deported to Siberia or kind of any number of other outcomes where they kind of... Um, had they become uh, an enemy of the Soviet state, and then the archives would then be manipulated to reflect their disappearance, or I guess perhaps not reflect it because they were, you know, kind of expertly removed. So she's quoting that history, but also kind of implicating her herself and ideas of family archives, like within that. But still leaving enough of the mark that you know that. And so is she almost more present than in the mark of cutting than in the actual piece? Well, I think so, because, you know, without the actual indexical information of her, her bodily presence in those photographs, there's other things that you can, you kind of notice perhaps maybe a little bit more about them. So, you know, there's a photograph of her mother and father of her on a picnic blanket that she's kind of been cut out of. And you notice her parents' expressions more because they're holding this kind of amorphous blob uh, that is, you know, completely not human, but also... Um, I think it maybe draws attention to what's happening in and around the photographs a little bit more than it would otherwise. And just as one point of clarity too, when you're, we're talking about disappearance, <laughs> and I, I think this goes back to Mimi's work, is 
are, is it people that have disappeared in a sense of gone missing, mm-hmm. like or like like permanently gone missing, or is it a sense of people that sort of disappear even in daily life as being not noticed? Mm, or I think overlooked? it's all of that. Okay. Yeah. Um. My approach to this exhibition was was actually very broad. Like I I wanted to cast a very broad net. Um. And have this exhibition you know, in, when I was imagining it, it would be all these different forms of disappearance. And I think that's what so enthralled me by the idea of disappearance kind of writ large. Um, but finally, how it panned out is that each of these works is actually kind of, as I mentioned, quite tied to the body. So for, um, you know, various kind of contextual and also um, subjective reasons, it ended up being like that. But um, I don't think there's there's it's not so black and white as, you know, like a missing or a disappeared person versus um, someone who has disappeared by kind of like violent cultural circumstances that, you know, they, that are kind of outside of anyone's control or outside of especially their control. Um, yeah, so it's a bit it's a bit broad in that sense. Well, and then maybe just yeah, somewhat quickly, if it's all right, take us through the last couple artists mm. in this exhibition here. Lata Vanden Odenaren is um, a Brussels-based artist who was recently at the Banff Centre, actually, um, and the work that's included in the exhibition she made in the Banff Centre just this spring um, during a, a residency called Still Alive. Um, and Lotta's work was something that I had wanted to, or that I was kind of interested in considering in the context of this exhibition kind of far before this work was made um, because she's very interested in in ephemerality so her practice is very ephemeral based and it's kind of about um, about traces in a kind of more broad sense perhaps not like specifically disappearance but um, certainly the kind of um, ways in which we navigate the world and leave traces despite the absence of our bodies you know eventually you know you can walk somewhere and make some kind of impact that um, is endures through time, but you're no longer there. Um, so her work is a photograph that was taken, I don't think it was taken in Banff, but it was close to Banff. And she um, found this really beautiful rock that's kind of completely um, overtaken by this really um, beautiful rusty orange lichen moss. Um, but underneath the moss and the kind of wear and tear of weather, um, there's this spray-painted message that's been kind of almost completely obscured by these natural elements, but you can still tell that there's this um, human intervention onto the surface. So she took this really beautiful photograph and printed it on a very kind of diaphanous silk material that um, kind of like hang, hangs in the gallery. Um, off the wall so it's it's um, a very light piece but I was really interested in how with this work in particular um, there's this kind of very deeply innate impetus on the part of humans to to leave something behind for when our bodies aren't there whether you know they're elsewhere or whether we've passed away or you know whatever the circumstances and so in that context, I think it has a lot of interesting relationships with works like Matthews, for example, that are kind of really um, taking up ideas of monumentality and permanence and trying to kind of instill a history in something that will endure through time. So there is that kind of relationship and dynamic between those two works, I think, that is um, quite beautiful and quite poignant. Um, so and then the last work is an installation by Charlene Vickers, who is Vancouver-based, um, and she will also be doing a performance for the Nuit Blanche, as you mentioned. So um, Charlene 
is a really wonderful artist. I met with her in Vancouver a number of weeks ago, and um, we just had this really great conversation. I was initially thinking of including a different work of hers, but through this conversation, um, this kind of beautiful um, foil, in a way, came out in the form of her suggesting including this other work, which is called um, Occupy Anishinaabe Park, 1974. Um, And so in the gallery space, there will just be the kind of material aspects of of the performance. So she has a sign that says Occupy Anishinaabe Park 1990, sorry, 1974 on it. And it's the kind of prop that she uses for uh, this performance of the same name. So uh, Charlene originally staged this performance in Vancouver, um, where she's resided for, I think, 20 years or more now. But she's originally from, she's originally Anishinaabe from Ontario. Um, and this performance quotes specifically uh, the um, Anishinaabe Park occupation in Kenora, Ontario in 1974, very um, And this idea that, you know, through our, our structures of settler colonialist um, contexts that are, you know, incredibly violent to um, indigenous people broadly, but specifically in terms of how we police their bodies in, in different spaces in this country, it kind of takes that idea and um, is a way to confront it or counteract it because she is, yeah, in quoting this kind of historical event, which was an occupation of a park that was on this contested territory that was um, that was being abused by the government of Ontario. Um, in taking the sign and kind of walking it through various parks in Vancouver, she was essentially reinserting herself into these spaces that have traditionally kind of um, uh, made invisible body, uh, sorry, made indigenous bodies, um, made it necessary for them to disappear, for them not to occupy these spaces anymore. So in a way, she's kind of doing the opposite of what everyone else in the exhibition is doing. So, you know, the other works are kind of concerned with the traces or the um, ways in which we can see uh, an absent body, but with Charlene's work, what's actually happening is that she's kind of very literally reinserting her body into places in which it's kind of been violently expelled. Um, and in the context of Vancouver, which is also kind of an interesting and very complicated political history, because of course Vancouver is unceded territory. Um, so she will do that performance or an iteration of that performance here in Saskatoon, which I think kind of further complicates and um, provides um, interesting kind of political ramifications uh, for the kind of legacy of, of this performance. So, And that performance then, as you mentioned, is taking place during Nuit Blanche. Yeah. And I'm just wondering, there's a lot of politics around someone of Indigenous descent coming and performing in a space that isn't their, where they're necessarily mm-hmm. from. And and so she's performing a work that was originally from Ontario that's been performed that she created in Vancouver mm-hmm. but now performing in Saskatoon. So I'm, I'm wondering if you can talk a little about that sort of political discourse or. Um, yeah, well, I mean, it's a, v- a very weighty and very complex political discourse, of course, um, as kind of anything pan-Canadian in terms of Indigenous politics is. Um, the way that I kind of understood it is that in to kind of um, taking this performance to different locations throughout Canada, she's really, um, how to say it, she's she's very much collapsing, um, or maybe perhaps not collapsing, that's not the best way to say it, but she's creating these bridges amongst different Indigenous communities, and 
kind of speaking to the shared experience of colonialism that people across Canada and also across other places in the world, in North America, um, in South America, in the Arctic, um, are kind of having this this unified shared experience of colonialism. And of course, everyone experiences it differently. And there's, there's very um, specific histories in each of these places. But for her to kind of be... Um, kind of reinserting herself into these various contexts, I think is an incredibly powerful um, proposition, actually. So, you know, tra- traversing Canada, which is expansive, and, you know, not not even many people are able to do it. It's, you know, there's not so much horizontal mobility in Canada. Um, yeah, I think is a, is a really interesting proposition. But we'll, ha- I mean, we'll have to see how it goes as well, because you never know with performance. Of course. Well, thank you for you know giving some detail about that exhibition. And we just have a couple minutes left, but mm-hmm. I'm wondering if we might just talk briefly sort of about the path that's brought you here. I, I, I know you've worked at the BAM Center and mm-hmm. you're currently at a gallery in Calgary. Um, mm-hmm. I wonder if you might just sort of, it's always, and I guess um, your connection to, Sas- probably original connection, or maybe I'm wrong about this, but to Saskatoon is through Alison Cooley um, in that you co-curated mm. an exhibition that won the Middlebrook Prize for Young Curators with Alice in, yeah. in 2014. And so I wonder if you might talk a bit about, um, yeah, just your path to this point. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Alison's a, a dear friend of mine from, from grad school. And although I've never been to Saskatoon with her at the same time of her as her, I kind of oftentimes think of her when I'm here because she was the kind of one person I had met in my adult life that was from Saskatoon <laughs> before kind of coming here um, as an adult. But uh, yeah, actually, Allison and I are working on a project right now in Calgary, so it's it's nice to be able to collaborate with her again. Um, in terms of my connection to Saskatoon, um, I was visiting last year for a conference, um, which is when t- I kind of s- started talking with Taryn about the idea of perhaps doing an exhibition, and I had been already thinking about some of these ideas, not necessarily um, with a teleological aim of making them into an exhibition, but the opportunity kind of presented itself for that kind of research to maybe make itself manifest as an exhibition. So it's something um, that we've been working on together for the better part of a year now. I think I was here last October. Um, so yeah, that's that's kind of what brought me here. Well, and yourself, and your, you were at the BAM Center, is that mm-hmm. correct, until yeah. fairly recently? So, mm-hmm. and was this on a residency or? No, um, I moved to the BAM Center also last October from Montreal and um, I was very fortunate to have gotten um, this really wonderful uh, practicum position for curatorial research for a year at the Walter Phillips Gallery at the BAM Center. So uh, before then I'd never been to the prairies, I'd never been to Alberta, so I kind of um, came came here a little bit uh, naively I suppose, but it, it was... Um, it was a really, really wonderful year at the BAM Center. And, and like you mentioned, now I'm in Calgary, which is quite close. Um, so yeah, it was kind of a, a bit of a meandering path that led me here, but but one that's been kind of very beautiful nonetheless. And at Untitled Art Society now, because mm-hmm. I think it's always a challenge, uh, you know, for young curators to sort of build that career and move into that artist run space. So, mm-hmm. But obviously one that's starting to um, work out well for you there. Yeah, yeah, it's been good so far. It's it's very different. The BAM Center is a kind of colossal institution, and at Untitled, it's you know complete opposite. I have a lot of agency, but I'm also uh, the only kind of full time staff member. So right, <laughs> some other challenges. Yeah, though. yeah, absolutely. Well, again, uh, the opening for this exhibition is tomorrow night, mm-hmm. uh, Friday, or yeah, Friday, September sixteenth at eight p.m. at AKA. Mm-hmm. 
And then the exhibition will continue until the 22nd with that performance during Nuit Blanche on October 1st. Mm -hmm. uh, thank you again for joining me, Tasha. Thank you for inviting me. Again, my name is Michael. This has been Unframed, conversations about the arts on CFCR 90.5 FM. A reminder, as always, if you'd like to listen to this episode again or any of our past episodes, you can go to unframedradio.com or find us on iTunes. And you're welcome to follow along with us on social media. We're Unframed Radio on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thank you and have a good evening.